Welcome to the Rogue Journal Club, where we tear studies apart so you don't have to. The Rogue Journal Club is a Shio Sophia production, featuring long-form discussions of peer-reviewed studies, published in academic journals, and their connections to society. I'm Adrian, And I'm Gina. We'll be your hosts. A journal club is when academics at universities get together to talk about papers. But we've gone rogue. We're going to do journal club our way. Join us. Today on the Rogue Journal Club, we have a discussion based on the article Augmenting the Grammar of Science, the Community Science Exchange, from the 2022 issue of Community Science. The primary author is Kevin Noon. Rock and freaking roll. <laughs> devil horns there we go <laughs> do this all right so what we have today uh is gonna be a little bit different um and it's a commentary in a journal called community science which if you've never heard of it before neither did we because it literally just started <laughs> last month or in what is it june yeah june 20 yeah. this is like the first article in that journal <laughs> Yeah, I never knew that you could have a journal with only one article in it. I, I thought that was a blog, but hey, you know what? It's it, it's a new world. <laughs> it is a new world. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, the article is a commentary. It's we should be clear on that. It's a commentary. It's not a it's not a peer-reviewed piece of research. And commentaries do appear a lot in in journals, and they do get review from from the different editors. Um, but they don't go through the same level of peer review that if you were doing actual analysis and research, it would. It is entitled Augmenting the Grammar of Science, the Community Science Exchange. Um, and I guess for a little bit of background, this is an article that's talking about something called community science or concept, I should say, called community science. And if you've followed my channel on YouTube, I've talked about it before. It's um, goes by also the name of actionable science. Um, you've also, if you've heard of it in other ways, it goes, uh, goes by the name of community-based participatory research or uh, participatory action research. There's actually quite a host of names for this concept. Yeah, and this is this different from citizen science? Um, no, actually, I think they talk about citizen science in here as being part of that or something that was kind of precursor to it um if i remember See, citizen science actually seems cool because it's like actually the the non-experts so to speak or non the non-professional researchers i guess is a better way to say it take part in collecting the data that is needed for some kind of large question and if you have a lot of people maybe some studies like uh, that's an advantage because maybe you need like a big geographic distribution over a long period of time. And so citizen science, I mean, like SETI at home is one that I know about, but there's lots of different kinds of citizen science. So that's okay. If that counts as community science, then this isn't all terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've talked about it and I do think um, 
I think for our audience, I should let them know that at the time of this recording, I had just been listening into a number of different workshops and talks and things like that on, <laughs> on the idea of actionable science. So um, folks may be a little, uh, little bit of wondering where a lot of that comes from. It's because I have been exposed to it in depth and a lot lately. <laughs> um, so, and I think this is, I think we, when we were talking about doing this article, it was more so instead of critiquing a research, let's talk about the idea of what this is and gets into an interesting idea of, or it gets into a more philosophical question in the sense of what the heck is the role of science in society or what should it be? Mm-hmm. Um, and so community science argues something very different. Well, community science is a concept or actionable science as a concept. You'll hear that I may end up using them interchangeably. Um, argues a little bit differently and it's kind of concerning for those of us who are fans of what science is <laughs> yeah that's a good way of putting it because i'm in putting it i think we were both a little bit yeah more off screen before <laughs> yeah i meant i meant to say this at the beginning but like i'm in a bit of a mood and i've been in that mood for like a week or so and i just want to say that like some people in the science community should give me their PhD because I'm a little bit disillusioned with the whole thing this week. But, you know, (laughs) you can quote me on that, but you also have to point out that this is a mood that I'm in. And so I might be a little more sparky and snarky than usual in this episode. (laughs) So totally. All right. Um, Enjoy it. (laughs) Let me see here. Um, This, this article is published with two things. So this, uh, it has an abstract, but it also has what's known as a plain language summary, um, in part because I think plain language summaries are appearing more and more often, particularly with like the American Geophysical Union and a few other places that's just like, we want to make sure our science is accessible to the public. Good sentiment. So let's make a language, yep. make a summary that anybody can read um, and not an abstract, <laughs> essentially. So I get, um, I guess I it's a public consumption abstract. How about, can I put it that way? Does that even make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually, so I, um, I'm going to divert just for a moment here. I have, I have a book, uh, two books, actually. One of them is called Clear and Simple as the Truth. Uh, this is like if you wanted to read a philosophy book, but about writing. Uh, so it's like super boring for nerds like me that obsess over this kind of stuff. But it does talk a lot about like academic speak. And there's another book called uh, The Sense of Style by Steven Pinker, who some of the viewers and listeners of this show may have heard of. Um, And he's a cognitive scientist and he talks about uh, how people process the written word. So plain language summaries to me are like uh, summaries that actually say what they're really trying to say. And then the abstract that's not a plain language summary is the uh, academic speak, which is like meta concepts and vague things that sort of make stuff sound smarter than they actually are. So I'm a fan of plain language summaries because it forces scientists to actually say what they're really doing. And sometimes it can be more evident that they're not doing anything of substance from the plain (laughs) language summary. (laughs) So um, I told you I was in it. I told you I was feeling sparky today, so. Go for it. Like, plain language <laughs> summary is lifting the veil on anything that might be BS. Should we yes. 
<laughs> yeah, because you have to use real words. You have to use like subjected verb to object. You have to actually say what you're doing because if it can be seen, then it can be explained. This is my philosophy. It's my new buzz phrase. So anyhow, there onward. we go. That works. All yeah. right. Well, we're going to be a little bit academic for a bit and I'll read the abstract first. <laughs> Do it. The expanding field of community science offers the possibility to augment the way science is done, making closer two-way connections between researchers, communities, and community members. It enriches and improves science through broadening the scope of problem and hypothesis formation to include practitioners who will use the results of scientific investigation. It enriches the communities involved through access to and participation in scientific investigations aimed at their own challenges. In this article, we describe a new facility, the Community Science Exchange, that offers venues for both researchers and community practitioners to publish and share their work to the benefit of both science and communities. So that is the abstract. Dare we read the plain, plain language summary or? Yeah, here, I'll do that one because, uh, you know, we can trade off. All right. So, oh, I'm not like facing the camera in a very pleasing way here. Yeah, okay. uh, we are an, in a new uh, epoch, epic, is it epoch? I guess I'm going to say it that way, in yeah. which society needs to deal with the wicked problems such as sustainability, uh, sustainably producing healthy, nutritious, affordable and attractive food for everyone on the planet while enhancing ecosystem resilience, dealing with climate change, transforming our energy and transport sectors, and ensuring just and equitable access to resources. Dealing with these sorts of problems challenge the research community to become more connected to society and more holistically involve communities and practitioners in the process of science. In this article, we describe a new facility that offers venues for publishing, promoting, and rewarding science done with, not for, communities. It sounds so nice, doesn't it? But it isn't. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, when I was reading that first sentence, I was like, we need to have, like, sustainably produced healthy, nutritious, affordable, attractive food for everyone on the planet while enhancing da, 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 and make the tooth fairy and Santa Claus real too while we're at it. Like... <laughs> It kind of reminds me of Biden's State of the State of the Union address that was just like one fantasy after another. Oh my God! Yeah, that, <laughs> that was... it, it maybe not quite as bad as the State of the Union address, but it had the same kind of like everything is going to be perfect from here on out if only we could just get together and make it happen. And then at the same time, half the people in that community are so jaded that they don't believe it'll do any good anyway, and and that's. That's why they're all insane. But yeah. anyway, I I really am bothered by this idea of wicked problems. So when we get to that, I'll like share why. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll get there eventually. Mm -hmm. we'll, get there after, well, we're gonna have fun talking about this one because this is actually a really really short article because it's only like four pages of text, which yeah. is fascinatingly short. Um, mm -hmm. again, it was I think it was the first article in that journal. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's, I think they've only published like two other papers total. Mm -hmm. We we were I mean, looking it, into this. To be, I mean, to be fair to them, when you're starting a new journal, sometimes it is really hard to get people to yeah. publish in it, but also people to review because it's kind of like you want to publish in the, in the high end, you know, quality journals, you want to get a lot of pubs done. But if it's a brand new journal, they haven't had a whole lot of time to make any 
any amount of credibility for themselves or sure. anything like that. So it's kind of, it is really difficult. So I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to knock them for only having just published like one or two or three things. It takes a while to get established. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's new at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think to, to add to the, to add to what we're saying for our viewers, um, and listeners, um, would probably be good just to have some kind of definition of what is usually meant by the idea of actionable science. Um, and I mean, in a short way, it's essentially scientific research, although they, although they will say science, which is not quite right, um, scientific research that promotes action or helps to get to action on some level. Um, Another way to say it is another way that they'll say it is it's scientific research that's actually useful, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a whole other thing. But here's a there's not really one standard definition, but this is one that I kind of like for it, um, which is to say it's data. I, mean, I got it over here on the screen, by the way. Um, data analyses, projections, or tools that can support decisions. It includes not only information but also the guidance on the appropriate use of that information. And often the idea of actionable science also comes along with another concept called co-production, which is the idea that there should be collaboration among managers, scientists, and other stakeholders who, after identifying specific decisions to be informed by science, jointly define the scope and context of the problem, research questions, methods, and outputs, make scientific inferences, and develop strategies for the appropriate use of science. Okay. Um... (sighs) (laughs) i can sense the frustration already um yeah yeah they there's there's okay and i mean continue yeah Yeah. um what's uh, it's been around longer than people think because some of the some of the forebears of actionable science goes back to the 1940s so it's not necessarily super young but -hmm. it's come into a lot of prominence in stem related fields recently and particularly noticed a bunch of it in medicine and the like too because of because of sometimes rightly sometimes wrongly there is a recognition that when we do research in the traditional fashion we publish it we get it done in um put it in a journal somewhere and wait for somebody else to come pick it up and use it or something um, this kind of, it's referred to in the communications kind of thing as the loading dock approach where you just like, you're doing it, the research, you're leaving it somewhere else, someone else picks it up. And if it's a decision maker that picks it up, it's not necessarily always the most immediately useful for that decision maker's needs, let alone the fact that they don't necessarily have time or the ability to parse through some of the complicated jargon and language, like what we have, why we have plain language abstract, uh, plain language summaries now, those kinds of things. So that's where... So at least when I was first introduced to the idea of actionable science, that's where a lot of it came from, was the idea that, okay, yeah, we recognize that sometimes for decision makers, we don't produce something that's actually useful to a decision that needs Mm. a critical decision. Um, And yeah, that's not a helpful communication strategy to just dump it out there sometimes and let people do that. So sometimes that's a right thing. Where I've grown increasingly concerned with it is it comes with, and I think that, yeah, they talk about it here. Um, the article they reference in here in the first section of, from Jane, Jane Lubchenco, 
um, on her social contract for science, her new social contract for science. Um, it starts to get into things that I get very uncomfortable because it seems to tear scientists away from what I think is their purpose, which is getting at the truth, right? Um, I've talked about this at length in my own beliefs on that. Um, but yes, yeah, they talk about it here. In her presidential address as incoming president of the American Association for the Advancement of Science in 1997, Jane Lubchenco threw down the gauntlet to the scientific community. She stated that since the magnitude of human impacts on the ecological systems of our planet has become so large and pervasive, and since there are no there are intimate connections between these systems and things like human health, social and relational well-being, the economy, social justice, national security, and many others, we need a new social contract for science. In this new contract, scientists would A, address the most urgent needs of society in proportion to their importance, B, communicate their knowledge and understanding widely to inform decisions of individuals and institutions, and C, exercise good judgment, wisdom, and humility. While science is not explicitly defined in Lubchenco's article, she does hint at an inclusive interpretation of the term by mentioning space, medical, environmental, biogeochemical, and other kinds of research, as well as issues such as social justice, economy, and national security. Yeah, that's a lot of things to put on science. Because <laughs> I don't think science is supposed to do all that stuff. No. I I think this is a mistake that I see through this whole paper, this mistaken assumption that they, these people need some, I'm going to back up. There's a mistaken assumption that you can find that there's like maybe some kind of scientific research that we're, that we could do that we're not doing that will somehow prove certain policy approaches and certain like social decisions that we could make uh, as being correct or the best thing to do and that like we're not doing that kind of science because our all these eggheads are just working on basic science and like not making it make sense to stakeholders i think first of all you're doing shitty science if you're not considering your stakeholders so if there's science that's happening in a vacuum where people are not considering the stakeholders, then uh, then we should seriously, we should fix that. But the idea that somehow scientific research can extend its, its reach that far into like policy and society and these sort of messier topics is, um, is false. Science is part of it, but it is not it. And so the idea of taking something and calling it a wicked problem and just making this umbrella statement where like scientific research and policy and society and social justice and like the economy and all these other things, like, first of all, I know what they mean by all that stuff. They mean like, how can we like make everybody have equal money and make all the races the same? And like, I know that it's the left wing stuff and they disguise it in this kind of like academic speak but that's really what they mean. It's a political agenda. But then you take this concept of like a wicked problem and you're like, oh, that's so insightful. It's a wicked, no, it's not. That's just called society. There's never been a time when science was like, do you know what I'm saying? I'm kind of like going in circles because I'm very emotional about this, but I guess it's more like 
like science should take those things into account, but it's not all of it. And so the idea that we have these wicked problems and we have to change how we do research to address them, I think is totally false. Basic research is important to just do. Otherwise uh, we fall behind. So, and that's actually, they were citing, and this just was brought to my attention like by someone else just before I got on this call that that Bush 1945 reference, they're yeah. referring to a letter and I didn't know this. So I'm, I'm kind of taking credit for somebody else's uh, thing they noticed. The Endless Frontier, um, yeah. the letter that this, this individual wrote to the president after World War II saying like the reason why we did so well in the war was because we had heavily invested in basic science. And so we should keep doing that. And that was what sparked the founding of the National Science Foundation. So that was not meant to be according to what I was told anyway, and I have, and this is second information, but it was not meant to be a treatise for how science should be done. It was just like a letter that was urging the government to invest in basic science. So we should still keep doing that because that's, you don't always know what the applications are going to be. And so having basic science makes you ahead. So when you need to apply something, you have it there. It's not you can't predict the future and decide like what what the applications are always going to be. You can do a lot of predicting, but you can't always know. Basic science is still needed. It doesn't have to be all this applied, 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 relevant stuff. Um, single research projects are rarely going to have like uh, I guess popular appeal because sometimes they're incremental steps toward answering a larger question. You need a lot of studies to get there done by a lot of different people with a lot of different perspectives and tools. So I think they're just, they're, they're kind of making this like false comparison where they're like, well, we have, there's some questions that the endless frontier strategy are great for. And then some questions that are part of these wicked, they're all part of society like all scientific problems have elements of the different other things like policy and social implications and yeah. those kinds of things. Like there's no case where science is operating in a vacuum. If it is, then it's not good science and you should involve the stakeholders. So this is almost like both like trivially true and wrong somehow at the same time. And I, it's like very frustrating to read. Yeah, it's... It is interesting how, now that you say it, I think I, I think I know how to say it because they do talk about it later that, yeah, they talk about it later. It's the end of section five where they're making a point that the need for and value of discovery science and scientific advancement is not diminished in this strategy. Rather, these needs are augmented by the need for and value of solutions to societal challenges. So they're trying to, kind of make the point that they still think basic research is important but okay. i think to i think maybe i can crystallize your argument a bit because i think i've been feeling the same thing and i just kind of figured out how to say it finally good because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure i'm just kind of word vomiting right now so no, 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 that's okay that's okay um the thing that i think it is is that every question from what might be called basic research questions to the actionable science research questions are somehow societally relevant. And why? Because some of the basic research questions lead to the fundamental things that we can then go down the road and do actionable research. 
um, but also because some of those basic things are life-changing events that we know will have advanced big 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 impacts on investment on society like somewhere somewhere along down the line somebody's going to do a basic science research or so we hope at least in basic science research and find a cure for cancer somehow or another we that may very well happen that is going to be a basic research thing that when if it happens somewhere along the line that is going to be society changing for much of the united states because there are many people who die from cancer every year um that is very societally relevant but there's very few people who are <laughs> there are very few like public decision makers stakeholders all the way down on this end of the spectrum that mm -hmm. are going to be immediately using that kind of information the idea of actionable science is this stuff is immediately useful to do decisions at the local level but what they sure. fail to recognize is those things far up the chain that are perhaps not immediately relevant to a decision maker usually when they're talking about stakeholders in this thing they're thinking about decision makers they're not thinking about society writ large or things like that they're thinking about individual communities or groups of people mm -hmm. or even just right down to like a neighborhood level um mm -hmm. if you're working with the native nations one of the native nations would be an example of a stakeholder group um things like that is what they're thinking of um those kinds of questions over here on this end with the basic um or what we would think of or what they seem to describe here as basic research or discovery science they are very societally relevant but they're not immediately relevant to somebody's decision making down here and i think yeah, i mean it, it takes that. it takes time to understand a yeah. field so like your your example of can't the cancer example is interesting because to me curing cancer seems like very applied actually but what a, ba a basic science discovery would be like a new pathway in, yeah. in, in a cell or like a, a new target. Uh, and even that is actually really applied. This base basic science research is like understanding phenomena for the, the yeah. sake of the phenomena. So like, I mean, that's, that's yeah. kind of why I lumped the cancer research in as a basic research kind of thing, because right. we are still very much trying to understand cancer to the point that, that we can't even have a cure for it. Yeah, and actually, for that matter, just to correct one misconception, cancer is like hundreds of diseases, and so one cure for all of cancer is probably impossible. But we do have one cure, and that's the HPV vaccine. So that was that's yeah. one that is one uh, an example of one type of cancer being cured mostly. So this is a tough problem, and so you need basic science research to understand phenomena because you don't we don't understand enough yet about how all these different kinds of cancers work so yeah. being being able to apply something like oh all of a sudden you you have a phenomena that you understand more like oh i didn't know cells did this like who why is that relevant i don't know we'll figure oh look it turns out it's relevant for this thing we didn't think of like 10 years later so that's and then you have that knowledge there already and you don't have to be caught with your pants down 10 years from now going, oh no, we don't actually have an explanation for that. Now we got to go back and study it. You might have some information there. You just don't know what it's for yet. So, right. yeah. 
And, and it's hard to explain this to decision makers who haven't studied science. It's not like, oh, decision makers are dumb and they don't understand science. No, it's just that science takes a long time to learn. And actually, even if you're super smart, you still have, a, have to spend time understanding what's been done on a particular sub, sub, sub question. And so that can be really hard to explain to someone who just needs some information to make a decision now. Like the need to summarize the field I would say would probably like to summarize disciplines and to come up with like ways of managing all the data that we have to like have a, a satisfying, here's what we know so far on this big question based on all this, these little studies that were done. That's probably something that would help this problem that they're describing, but I don't know if it would make a difference for like equity and all the social justice topics. I think I think this just like reeks of an agenda and they're actually pointing out something really obvious that like science already tries to do like all the time to involve stakeholders and come up with relevant questions. That's what funders look for. Like when you're writing a proposal, they want to know yeah. what, what good is this for what our organization as funders are interested in? Like yeah, but, that's yeah, what are the so the funders though and this is this is this is something that is a good question to just ask i think um where are the funders getting the idea for what things they want to fund um because believe it or not this is this comes up in the discussions of how to do equitable science if you will because it's like oh who's who has the power to ask questions right Sure. Um, and this is why they're careful. This is why they're caretaking about what the definition of a stakeholder is. And they don't mm -hmm. usually mean the funders when they're talking about stakeholders. They always okay. mean somebody who is down the chain as as the um, well, not down the chain. That, that's not necessarily the best way to someone put it. like someone who's affected by the outcomes of the um, study. Yeah, someone who would yeah. be affected by the outcome, a community that would be affected by the outcome, things like that. They don't typically mean funders. They don't typically mean the scientific discipline, just advancing science for the sake of it, you know, um, they mean, you know, is this, is this research going to cause X community to take an action or implement a policy um, or something like that? And there are some metrics in the actionable science literature that this is how you should evaluate the research as to whether or not it had, it caused X number of policies and X number of communities to change. Hmm. <laughs> yeah so like i guess it, it stems from this basic premise of course i've been reading a lot of philosophy lately sorry about that but yeah, it's it. like basic this like basic premise that the world needs to be changed drastically oh yeah and that that's bothersome because yeah i don't think the world is perfect but what do they mean by the world and what do they mean by change and like you know of course all those questions but then like do they mean radical revolution or do they mean piecemeal solving of real problems? Because I think some scientists hear the second thing and the ideologues hear the first thing. And that's yeah. like scary because yeah. I don't, I don't like seeing this stuff creep into science. I don't, I, I I'm starting to wonder if it's, if it's anarchy uh, in disguise or some kind of crazy political agenda that like there's all these, these well-meaning academics that just like want to make the world a better place. And they're like, yeah, this is how we're supposed to do it. Even though it means we have to actually deny the norms of science that got us here. Um, 
Yeah. They, there, there are three on the second page. I remember being taken aback by the three things that they deem as problems with, with the current culture of science. Yeah. It's like at the top of the second page. So this is crazy to me. So there are many reasons for this lack of connection between science, societal issues, and solving wicked problems. One is because the current culture of science views maintaining the independence of scientific endeavor as a primary consideration. Short-term political considerations or the central issue du jour should not influence what science questions are addressed or how science is performed. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think that's a problem, but they seem to. Another aspect of our current scientific culture stemming from the Endless Frontier Report is that science should be left to the professionals involving stakeholders in framing scientific questions or investigating scientific issues would inevitably decrease the rigor of these activities. That's actually possible. I mean, you could debate how much of that is true. Um, and depending on the stakeholders, that could be true or not. Mm -hmm. uh, a third is the notion that normative issues like justice, equity, or values should not influence what kind of scientific questions are addressed or how science is performed. Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, they're saying that that is a, so the, so the, they're saying the problem is or that normative the the fact that scientists think that justice equity and values should not influence what kind of science questions are addressed or how science is performed is the problem and that we need to like let normative issues dictate how science is performed like that's what they're saying there is that right let me read that again a third no a third is the notion that normative issues like justice equity or values should not influence what kind of scientific questions are addressed or how science is performed. So, so they're saying that the reason, one of the reasons for a lack of connection between science and society is that we don't allow normative issues like justice or equity determine how science is performed. That is what they're saying. Yeah. I, think, I think that you will alienate everybody who doesn't like social justice and equity as a solution to problems. And I think a lot of them don't care. I just wanna let you guys know that as somebody who interacts with many academics and someone who used to be a lefty, I can tell you that I am starting to wonder if any of the people that I know actually care whether or not they alienate you if you are a conservative or a libertarian or somebody who likes the enlightenment values of classical liberalism they they don't care <laughs> they don't care if it makes sense to you i i've run into this with science communication where i try to explain to people that you can't use ideological language when you explain science and some of them yell at me or yell about me when I'm not there and say that I am tiptoeing around the facts to prevent, protect the feelings of science deniers. And I'm saying, I am not doing that. I never tiptoe around facts. I think climate change is real, but I'm also going to talk about it in a way that's level-headed and not panicky because I don't want to push people away. And I want them to be interested in science and I want them to make up their own minds. And so, if you do this, if you make social justice and equity something that drives how science is done, forget what that does to uh, like bias, but it's gonna push away people who already distrust science already. Like 
how is this going to help anything? <laughs> We're not going to solve climate change at all if you can't get the conservatives on board with a reasonable decision that they can get behind. So this is this is what makes me cry. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, climate change is bad for people. I think the planet will be okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I well, it depends a little bit on who you talk to with that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're an expert in that. I shouldn't be talking out of turn on that. No, no, so. no. Okay, I, don't, <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind. Don't worry about that. Um, no, I think you're right in what they're thinking that they assume things would be better or these kinds of scientific research would be better if these things were incorporated into it. Um, never mind the fact that for all the talks I've seen, the literature I've read on this and what have you, I have yet to see anyone give me a metric of success for equity in particular, you know? Um, how are you gonna know that you've achieved yeah. equity in science and scientific research? How are you gonna know that? You, you've not given me anything metric wide. I have yet to even see a great definition of it. <laughs> well, isn't, with. I actually, about equity, isn't one of the metrics they look for is like a perfect cross-section of society represented in all careers, like where the, the proportions have to be like. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because like how, how, everyone will say it's like equality of opportunity. And having enough resources to make the same opportunity, right? Um, but really what they're trying to get at is not a quality of opportunity. They're trying to get a quality of outcome. Sure. To do that, um, which you're not ever going to get just in a general sense, because if you're talking about individual people, we have our individual talents and abilities and what have you that are widely varied amongst people. The individual is the ultimate minority. Um, right. <laughs> um, and the, that's the thing is like, let's, let's say you throw everything you've got. You give people tutoring, you're doing this, you're doing that. You give all the money in the world to, to somebody da, 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 and, you know, give them the training to be a scientist and what have you. But if they don't have the talent for it if they don't have ability if they don't have a desire to do it they don't have curiosity in it they don't learn their lessons really well about what science is and how to work in science it doesn't matter how much stuff you throw at that person <laughs> because they're just not gonna make it because <laughs> eventually yeah. somebody's gonna say no i'm sorry yeah. you're not good at this <laughs> it's hard to swallow these ideas. And I think these, to bring it back around actionable science is just like, I think it's another way of trying to like make everybody the same and give everybody like an upper middle-class quality of life. I don't know. Sometimes it's actually really hard to pin down what they're trying to do, yeah. but it does, it does so, remind me a lot of the anxiety that I've always had through my, my upbringing to like end suffering <laughs> or yeah. something yeah so um, and I mean you hit at the point that bothers me because I think I I read it to you in the other thing when we were off air that um one of the definitions given elsewhere um is that and this is specifically to 
specifically to um, participatory action research um, in a particular study. Participatory action research seeks to understand and improve the world by changing it. Literally, that's all the definition is for that in that particular paper. Again, like I said, there's not really one standard definition for this. They kind of haven't figured that out, which is, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but it all, yeah. the, the only thing I see in common with all of them that concerns me, um, because I, I'll be, I'll be perfectly frank. I think the idea of doing scientific research for specific stakeholders is not a bad idea. I don't think that's bad right. I, for specific, and by stakeholders, I do mean that in the actionable science sense of you're doing it for a community that needs something like, I don't know, maybe you need floodplain maps or new, new estimates of water tables because you're realizing you're having issues in neighborhoods with sinkholes opening up because there's pockets of water you didn't know were there. <laughs> Those kinds yeah. of problems. Um, or Those problems are kind of no-brainers, though, when you're trying to get money or you're trying to get buy-in from a community. Like, of course, that's a good scientific problem. If that's all they're talking about, then have at it. But yeah. I just, I, I'm suspicious that's not what they're really, what they mean. <laughs> no, and I, that's why I'm getting concerned too, because I think, you know, being, being there, empowering people, helping folks get the answers that they need, helping communities get the answers that they need to make the decisions that they want to make as a local municipality, as a tribal nation, as a state, um, right down to the neighborhood level, if you really need it for your neighborhood, something like that, you know, your neighborhood HOA or what have you. I love it. That's, that's an idea that I think is a good idea and it's a good thing to have. Yeah. Where I do get concerned is the idea of we're doing this to change everything. We're doing this to change stuff. It smacks a lot of postmodernist reasoning. <laughs> <laughs> the world's a screwed oh, yeah. place and we have to change everything. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it smacks a lot of that to me. And it also foregoes, you and I have talked about this offline, the normative principle of disinterestedness. Uh, yeah, they don't like they don't like anything from the enlightenment for reasons that we both well, know. <laughs> I mean, we should we should be fair and we should we should be fair with this and say, you know, we're not so we do, we don't know that they don't like it, but it sure seems like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay that they don't like it um yeah and it's just it really does get me really concerned because the thing that i think about with this is that as you step closer to working with a community and working with specific little things going on in that community there is more and more temptation as you have a relationship with that community to bias your research to get an outcome that would be favorable to that community in the answer to their question. Um, and so for example, they may think, they may think, well, we've got this problem, this thing here, and we think the result is this. But if your research shows that it's not that, that it's actually something else that maybe resulted from a poor decision they made earlier on, mm -hmm. or, resulted from a poor decision that somebody else made or perhaps resulted in a different way, in any number of different things really in this scenario. What do you do in that uh, situation as an ethical decision more than a scientific one, the science ethics decision, a science philosophy decision? Do you go with the thing that you know you found in your research in the process of answering the question of that community 
-hmm. or do you go with what you know would make that community really happy? And if it's particularly tinged with a social justice lens, that's what I'm really worried about is that you're going to put social justice over the truth. Oh, hi, Kat. Yep. She's here. <laughs> she was, she's like, I need to be on the show now. <laughs> this is Clarissa. Okay. She's going oh, behind the go. monitor. She's behind the monitor now, <laughs> but she does. Her, um, she does a lap. So you might see it again. Okay. Um, but do you, I do see what I mean. This yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that I see a lot in these kinds of papers is they're, they're vague in what they say. They don't give a lot of examples of uh, how, okay. Admittedly, so what, this what is are the commentary, so there's not going to be a huge amount of examples, but. Well, okay, that's true. I guess the, um, the third is the notion that normative issues like justice, equity, or value should not influence what kind of scientific questions are addressed or how the science is performed. So what, what would it look like if science was performed differently if we took equity and social justice as a goal that is more important than scientific accuracy, I guess. Or like when you say truth, really. When you say it like that, it sounds crazy. <laughs> but then if you're a postmodern type of person and you don't believe truth is a thing, then it sounds perfectly fine because all it is is just choosing goals. So are we going to prioritize the white man's science? Or are we going to prioritize the indigenous group's well-being? So if you're in that group, then of course the other thing is more important. Yeah. So this is never, just a never disagreement. Mind that is, uh, never mind that science is a lot older than 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 the Western tradition, yes. which is another misconception that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, aside from all that, for sure, the it's a disagreement over basic premises again, where yeah. you know, one one side is like uh yeah scientific objectivity and truth and these things are important and and like these are foundations of science and without them science doesn't work etc and then you have the other group that says truth ha 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 how naive you are to believe in such a thing as truth we could never even find we'll we'll, we'll never we'll you know there's no such thing as truth how naive you are to believe in it we have to prioritize the well-being of oppressed people those are just a like there's no way to prove that one of those is better than the other i i mean i think Personally, I choose the first one because I think bridges would fall over if we did the postmodern thing. So I think there's like there's like some outcomes that just yeah. demonstrate that one way of seeing the world just functionally works better than the other. I do care about the well-being of of oppressed people in, to use their words. Yeah. However, I don't think this is the way to deal with that. No. And I no. And I mean, but then, you know, the way that I say, I have these debates in my head all the time with like imaginary woke people, which is probably why I don't sleep that well. Oh, no. So I have like these, you need to have stop, stop having that debate with a woke person in your head. Yeah. I need to not have debates with woke people in my head period, because I think <laughs> they don't like debating. And, uh, I think we agree. We, di we disagree on our basic premises and so what, you always feel like, oh, how could I like come up with an argument that's going to make my position self-evident and you can't. And I think that's actually the mistake they're making in trying to include um, social justice and economic things and whatever they meant by national security and all these other like social problems, lumping that into research. 
that's those are ethical questions. Those are things that need to involve science plus other disciplines that are not science and other. So I agree in in that sort of trivial sense, but I don't well, I don't know if that's what they mean. That's maybe it is what they mean. And then in that case, they're kind of they mean either. But it's also it reminds me of another problem is like science as the process that it is doesn't give anyone a moral compass you do have to come to it some to some degree with your values and it's yeah. like your value is you know if, if you value the individual or things like that or you have a conservative view worldview or liberal worldview mm -hmm. that's ancillary in the idea of the normative principle of universalism that anybody can do science doesn't matter so long yeah. as you're following the process and the reasoning and what that's, key. that's what matters yes but in that vein, I'm reminded of, oh my gosh, this is going to sound weird. <laughs> hey, I just, I just I ranted about, this, I think we're in that, yeah, gonna be we can be in that, we can be weird. I just ranted about evolution for like five minutes without breathing. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that if this video has any viewage that that could be easily clipped and taken out of context. And I'm in here like panicking now that my career is over, but it's fine. I don't care. No, <laughs> but anyway. But, um, no, what I was thinking is, um, there's the famous saying after the constitution was ratified and Benjamin Franklin was asked by a, by a woman outside the, outside the building, um, what kind of government do we have? And Ben Franklin responded, a republic, if you can keep, and it was a famous line because thing about the republic and the constitution and what have you is that it only works really if everybody adheres to that <laughs> if mm -hmm. everybody adheres to that idea and i almost like to think that the scientific process only stays the great thing that it is if everybody adheres to some degree at least to the rules of the process, that you're not going to bias your research or you're going to try your best to avoid biasing your research based on self-interest, that you're going to be having everybody, um, you're gonna practice by universalism, you're not gonna care what the background of the person is, you're gonna evaluate their work based on its merits, um, that you know scientific knowledge does belong to everybody regardless, and that you know we, we evaluate things with the organized skepticism that is the, you know, the logic, logical empirical criteria for evaluating everything. Um, science doesn't stay science as a process that it is if you don't value that process. So in a way, you do come to doing scientific research with a set of values if you're doing science in the traditional perspective. It's that you value that process and you're willing yeah. to put your own personal values aside to put the to because you recognize the value of that particular process also but what this is asking in a sense to me when i'm reading it is that you want to put your personal values into that process and that's or i'm just like no you're throwing out the rule book here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the objective. And I think I actually realized how to explain the difference between science and all that other stuff. I think I finally came <laughs> up with it. So science is the process of falsifying claims. So it's falsification, 
which is linked to hypothesis testing, which is linked to forming research questions and all those things. So with a science experiment, you can take a universal. So this is like the solution, Pop, Karl Popper's solution to the problem of induction. So induct, inductive reasoning is you take uh, a, like one single outcome and you make a universal claim. And so uh, he suggests that we use deductive reasoning where you go from the universal claim to a testable statement and then you falsify that statement and if you fail to reject it or fail to falsify it then you keep going and that's our that's like the the easiest way to deal with the fact that you can never like prove something is true beyond a shadow of a doubt so science can do that but policy decisions and moral decisions and complex social decisions though it, it doesn't operate on that the falsification mechanism it's different you can't falsify that a certain policy is the best you have to try it and actually in certain situations a certain policy may work great but then like fast forward the clock of time a little bit and you try the same thing again it might not work right. because it and they, it's true maybe maybe a wicked problem is a way to describe like highly highly complex social decisions that science in, is is a part of mm -hmm. but you can't apply falsification to all those like messy moral and ethical decisions right. you have to take because you have beliefs you have cultures you have all these different things that you have to take into account that all of course matter so if this is what they're calling for what I'm saying, if, if that's all they're saying, then I'm on board. I think it's great. I don't think that they can actually lump all of those things into the falsification umbrella. And I would bet that they're not actually trying to do that because they keep talking about social justice, which comes from postmodernism, which doesn't actually like falsification or any of that stuff. So it's, I mean, it's very, it's like quite a scratcher. Yeah. In, in fairness to a lot of the, um, in fairness to some of the critiques that are out there, not some, there are some scholars that would claim that not all social justice is postmodern, that there's the idea of the difference between critical social justice and straight up social justice. But most yeah. of the time when you're hearing social justice nowadays, it is the critical social justice version, which is very much based in postmodernism. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you are not cool with the fact that objectivity is real and that truth however unknowable is something we should still try strive to understand uh if you if you're not down with that then it's probably postmodernism influenced at least even if you don't know that that's the word for it yeah and most people don't Mo yeah. most people don't for sure um but yeah that to, to your point the idea of you know with the policy side of things you know determining what's the best policy well what do you mean by best? Because that's kind of a moral decision. You can put in all these metrics and things in mm -hmm. an analysis, for example. But yeah. you know, what, it, it, if it's what, what then in that metric set is good mm -hmm. and what then is bad is something of a moral decision. Or yep. you know, if you're just looking for what, in my case, like like if you're evaluating a model or for something, you're just looking for how well it represents the real world and how you might represent that is just how low is the error which that's yeah. not necessarily a moral decision as much as it's just figuring out how much does it actually correspond to reality that's something different but if you're talking about like 
a research thing that you're trying to figure out what's the best for something. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Do you mean better health outcomes? Okay. How do you define better health outcomes? Do you mean lower mortality? Do you mean, you know, lower, lower contraction rates for a disease? Do you mean, Mm -hmm. do you mean less car accidents? You know, and do you, do you mean these are driving a car accident when that happens? So this is, um, utilitarianism, like the ethical system where you can actually do like quantitative ethics where you have like, you find a metric like disability adjusted life years or, um, like, uh, yeah, something really like, like dollars. Okay. So you could look at like the cost of something. So businesses make, so this is like how you would make an ethical decision using quantitative methods, but it's not falsification. You're not like, you're not like testing a hypothesis about the policy or the decision. You're actually just choosing to use a utilitarian, like consequentialist ethic, and then picking a metric and then weighing it, but you've decided that that is how you're going to do it. It doesn't, there was nothing that like proved that cost benefit analysis is the best way to make the decision. You can base it on some kind of like moral code. Like I, the 10 commandments is a great example of a moral code, but there's lots of different kinds. Like you'd have a code of conduct or something like that, or you could have a, um, what's the other one? We're actually preparing an ethics course for Cyworthy. So all this stuff is like right on my fingertips, Uh, like virtue ethics. So there are things like, well, I think, you know, you can make a a moral decision um, based on like, well, I believe in honor or integrity. Those are like virtue. uh, Virtue for me is integrity. I personally believe in being a high integrity person and being honest and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So you can make a moral decision based on that, but there's no way to falsify whether that's the best ethical system to choose. You just have to choose something. And that's why these things are messy because you can actually make a decision using, like you can have a group of people that all arrive at a decision using different ethical systems and they might arrive at the same conclusion and that's awesome, but that almost never happens. So you have yeah. to figure out maybe how to it, harmonize. They all have exactly the same data, but if they have an ethical difference a point of worldview difference they'll come to completely different conclusions about what the decision should be i mean we see we see that with the um the 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 race and gender stuff where we're looking at like income and things like that like we're all looking at the same data but your your ideology is going to inform how you interpret it and that's normal for a messy society like pluralistic society The problem that I think they're pointing at is like, do they want to change how science is done so that we don't get any data that's messy so that we don't have to confront data that disagrees with our ideology? So we're just going to make the data agree with our ideology and then if we can make decisions. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I wouldn't go that far with what they're saying here as as much as as much as um, much as you get that out of this. Your example, though, I have to say, though, your example about like the, the community that uh, if the results of the study don't come out the way that the, would make the community happy, then are you going to hide the results or are you going to change the way you do the study so that it comes out so that the group is happy? I don't know. It, did I misunderstand what you meant by no, that? No, no, no. That would no, be, you, you got that yeah. right. You got that right. I mean, and that is a concern. And it's, that's the concern that I have because there is a natural kind of thing in people, or at least I think there is. And maybe, hey, if you're a psychologist out there watching, let me know if I'm crazy. Um, <laughs> that's what you well, I know crazy. I definitely am. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
there's a natural thing I think when you build a relationship with someone and you want to maintain a relationship but you don't want to necessarily upset them or drive them away from you and all this other kind of thing and yeah actionable science is actually pretty popular right now with funders like NSF and what have you actually so it's kind Mm -hmm. of um it's one of those kinds of things there you keep doing actionable science you get more funding and so that's another you know that's another kick in the direction of you know I gotta I gotta make sure this is relevant to the community all this other kind of stuff how am I going to change it um but you also, if you're doing actionable science research and you want to keep doing that, then you have to maintain that relationship with the community. Now, ideally, if it's a good relationship, they would be okay with you telling them uh, that's not what, that didn't work out the way you thought it would, and this is why. Um, but if it isn't the case, or if the scientist is afraid that that's not the case, necessarily when they're doing that then there is a tremendous temptation there to out of the natural desire to want to please somebody and maintain a good relationship to Mm -hmm. go ahead and just change it to be what the society to be what the stakeholder community would want do you see what i mean yeah um and it's not necessarily out of the change the world mentality as much as i just really want to maintain a good relationship i got a good thing going i'm working with these great people i'm trying to help as best i can you know the really kind of feeling good about the feeling good about the relationship kind of thing rather than the i'm going to change the world and do a revolution kind of thing i'm not saying that that's not there because i do think that for some degree in this too but i'm also going with the more charitable interpretation of what could happen (laughs) oh sure like that's a good point too because yeah if you're working with a a group that distrusts science for example yeah and you know i know that uh I don't, I don't have a lot of native native American friends, but I have talked to a couple and they say that a lot of the tribes are really skeptical of the tools of Western science for reasons that are understandable. So um, if you're working with one of those groups, you probably don't want to uh, screw up the trust that you work so hard to build. And I, yeah, I could see that being a challenge. I think though, that it's not obvious that we should immediately toss scientific objectivity out the window to preserve those relationships. There's got, there's got to be a way to preserve the relationship and the objectivity. I I feel like to just, just to admit defeat on that is really careless. It would be, it would be really careless, but I mean, we also, we're also in a current time where if you offend somebody, you can end up losing your job. (laughs) Or yeah, you know, if you unintentionally offend somebody, you can end up losing your job. You know, um, so I would not blame a young scientist for being really scared. Sure, to say it at this point, and you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you get I, I've done, so. I guess I guess you could say in my career, I have done actionable science in the way that I think of it, which is some of the examples that we talk about, or it's like you got potholes or something wrong with this river, and you know, we need to figure out about hazard mitigation and what have you. I've done that. I've not mm-hmm. done things where I've tried to get particular decisions made or particular policies, or there's been a drive for particular policies to be done. I've not done that. Um, mm. And I would prefer to stay the hell away from that because that's not my that's not my jam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, policy stuff is tough. You actually have to understand a lot. It's a field of its own. That'd be like oh, yeah. doing a new area of research for you and you've spent your time and intellectual energy on 
one set of tools and that's what you're bringing to the table. And mm -hmm. so it makes sense. One, like what could say it's a wicked problem. It is. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll come around. I know you dislike that phrase. I don't think we ever, I don't think we ever got a, uh, no, you didn't say why you dislike that phrase. I don't yeah. I think I actually don't mind the word itself. I think it's just the idea that like there's problems in science that are separate from all these other things. And I think that that's a false dichotomy. Okay. Like the concept I I'm fine with the phrase. I don't care. Um, okay. but yeah. Okay. So maybe you yeah, said it, I missed it, but that that's yeah, it it just it bothers me because it's kind of seems like a way to it it's it's a misunderstanding of that sort of ethics versus falsification thing I was talking about. Yeah, where you like you have science, which is in the domain of falsification and deductive reasoning, and then you have all these messy ethical and policy related things that are not made using that mechanism. They're made in in other ways, and you. The, in in a sense you sometimes have to just accept like like this is the the axiom that i'm working off of this is the axiom that you're working off of and we're just going to figure out how to harmonize these things on a case-by-case -case basis um but we're not going to like touch the science process that's like that operates independently and we can draw from that pool if we want but i i just get the sense that the wicked problem thing is trying to like loop all the other stuff in and like figure out how to like prove that you know one particular approach is the correct one using the methods of science and i'm not really sure they're going to be very successful with that because it just doesn't work they have to read popper they have to understand how it works i know i'm a little bit of a popper evangelist but it's <laughs> admittedly i haven't read popper but you know I, I think I've told you this privately before is like things like the normative principles of science and Karl Popper and what have you. Mm -hmm. I never learned them in grad school. Nope, nope, nope. And and I actually, I am working on a course for my, my learn site right now that is on writing better research papers. Ah. And I'm, ho I'm hoping that it launches at the end of the month. Uh, I've been kind of working around the clock um, on it, but um, along with the ethics course, I'm putting this one together and it has philosophy of science in it, uh, a crash course oh, for people Thanks. writing research papers, because I, I think that a lot of uh, undergrads go into grad school and they're, or you come out of grad school and you're still totally clueless about what a research paper is and why it's different from an argumentative essay. And yeah. there's so many bad papers out there because they misunderstand that stuff. So it's super important to me. I've been diving into it. I'm going to pull up where is it yeah this is one of them i've i've got like this you can find i think for free on archive.org so it's actually like it's a classic book it's like from 1940 something or other i forget the it's been revised in uh, so many times i don't even know um the very first publication was 1959 i think no 1935 and it was in german and it was translated into English in the fifties. So nice. it's quite, it's quite old and very important. So. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, no, it, and actually it's, it's funny. You mentioned the trust thing because they went into a whole thing about, you know, we got to do this to improve the trust in science and the trust in the institutions of science and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking about it. It's like, well, if you're being not, if you have the temptation to not be so truthful, to your stakeholders for whatever reason well that's yeah that's gonna backfire 
that will not end well. <laughs> so, and you know, also the improving trust, I agree with them that that's important to do. Yeah. I think, I think the native people that, um, like, uh, that are of concern with these climate adaptation issues, like working with indigenous groups is a whole other kind of trust building than working with, um, like, run-of-the-mill American science deniers, I guess. Yeah. It's a, they're different populations. And I think even among science deniers, I'm being a little bit uncharitable because that's a lot of different groups of people. And I'm starting to really lose a lot of faith in the academy and I've been in it. And I actually really do strongly value the scientific process as you can probably tell. Mm -hmm. But I'm starting to think like, man, I kind of wonder, I, I'm, I'm not surprised that there's a lot of people that are out there looking at these PhDs going, who the hell do they think they are? Like, because there's not a lot of good reasoning going on and it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting for me because I, you know, <laughs> people know, although I haven't said where I do, I do work in the academy outside of, <laughs> outside of talking on YouTube <laughs> and other things. And um, it's, it's interesting for me because there's plenty of times working in the academy where I've absolutely felt torn in half because it's just like you know yeah I appreciate you people you're really don't get me wrong there is some real there are, is some there are some excuse my grammar <laughs> um there are some really brilliant people who work in universities and academia I've met a lot of them um in my own field and they're they are fabulous to work with they're brilliant people but I do think that even with this kind of stuff of actionable science, if any, I don't know a whole lot of them. That, well, I do know a lot of them that do, and I know a lot of them that don't. But even with that, they don't really get to know someone who has a very different worldview from their own. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who can, you know, you basically, you see, and believe it or not, talk about this. This is what strikes me so strange. They talk about this in the actionable science talks and in the literature and what have you, and, you know, valuing the knowledge of your stakeholders kind of thing. It's basically a kind of language that comes out there. It's just like, they yeah. have all these knowledges. They have all this information that, that uh, you're going to, you're going to value it. They have their own ways of knowing kind of right. like, comes up a lot. Um, and yet this is going to sound harsh, but this is the only way I can think of to put it. It sounds very tokenish, to be honest. It's the only way that I can really think of to put it. Uh, yeah. it's the only word that really comes to mind because it's just like you, you value it. Yes. As information, as knowledge, mm. what have you. And you recognize that it's other people that have it, but at the same time, it's just like token people that have extra knowledge that. Yeah, no, when I was in alternative medicine, this was really rampant and I called it uh, foreign people slash indigenous people are magical, which is kind of a racist yeah. view. And uh, I guess I learned actually earlier today, just to, just in to, fact, just, just to make sure the audience knows you're speaking of this, of other people that you've worked with. This is not necessarily you. Oh, no, it's definitely not me. I think this is ridiculous that people okay. think this stuff. Um, when I was I in alternative, I want to make sure that was on the record because I didn't want somebody to clip you and say, say that ah. she thinks this air, air go. 
Oh boy. Isn't the internet terrible? Hopefully that doesn't happen. I don't know, but no, I don't eh. think it will. At least we have it on record to say otherwise. So yeah, no, no. When I was in naturopathic medical school, this was a misconception that many people had. It was a, a very racist fallacy uh, that I thought even at the time was kind of silly. <laughs> and I, I like was into sort of the, the holistic stuff at the time. So that, and then I learned that another uh, word for this is the noble savage fallacy. Oh yeah. 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 That's a variant of it. And that's like also super racist and old fashioned. And I don't know if people still believe that stuff or if they think other people believe it, but like for the record, it's dumb. It's, dumb, <laughs> Just... it's horrible. Neither of us in this neither of us speaking really bad at all there we go yeah like if you're gonna clip the other thing then clip that part too and stick it together because i mean seriously it, it, i i grew up in a very diverse area when i was young and i i have noticed over the years that as i meet people as adults that didn't grow up in racially diverse and culturally diverse areas like some of the things i had to confront about race I confronted when I was like 10 yeah. and I, and I sometimes I'm surprised that people still think some of these things. And I guess that's my naivete also, because I, I don't know when you uh, being a teenager in the nineties, we were just like, everybody's people We're all valuable and great and awesome. And they, we all deserve chances and people shouldn't be mean to each other. Like this, <laughs> this used to be common knowledge and now it's like a radical idea. <laughs> it's kind <Yeah>. of sad. <laughs> Yeah, it used to be, and it's strange now. Yeah, it really is. But to to get back to the point, yeah, to me, I I always feel torn in two because it's like I I know these are good academic people, and at the same time, I can see that as much as they try, they don't genuinely connect with people on a human level. You know, yeah. people who are not. It's really that. really tough. I I've it, it, that's it's why yeah. like there are a lot of days when I feel. Morty is in more at home, not being anywhere near <laughs> a university and just being out there having dinner with some great people. Like loved it the one day I got home from a, from a trip. I went to a waffle house the next morning for breakfast because I had nothing in the nothing in the um kitchen. And um, pardon the language here in a second, but I was greeted by this wonderful server and we hit it off and had a great conversation while I was eating my breakfast and she was serving everybody else and laughing and John, what have you. And she said to me, I'm Bonnie and I'm the friendliest asshole you'll ever meet. And I <laughs> love that woman. <laughs> I want that on a shirt. That's a great thing to say. That's awesome. <laughs> that was the greeting right when I walked in the door. And I'm like, that's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> yeah. No, I I'm like. at home with those kinds of people who are just like regular yeah. people just laughing and yakking. And for the record, as much as Waffle Houses can be really horrific, I then this maybe in a little bit of endorsement. I love going there just to hear some of the conversations people are having and, you know, mm -hmm. get a little sense of like local issues and what have you. And it's so, yeah. but that's totally off tangent, but yeah, see, I think, I mean, I work so torn in two though, because there are days when I do feel at home in a university and there's other days where I'm like, Nope, I'd rather be in the waffle house down the street. Yeah. I actually have that feeling a lot. That's probably why we get along because I think I spend more of my life outside the academic bubble maybe it's about 50, 50. Cause actually with my, my work, even though I'm not doing research and I'm not a university or anything, and I have the SciComm stuff that I work with a lot of people still that are at universities. 
And, you know, to be frank, a lot of them are really amazing, caring people, and they really want to do good. And they really do try to juggle all these different complex social issues. And they care a lot about their students and they're like excellent educators. And I really like working with them. Uh, And actually the people that are in my program, I think are genuinely sympathetic to the kind of SciComm stuff that I want to teach people. So they're great. I think maybe politically, we probably don't all agree, but who cares, you know, like fine. I think we're all kind of in it for like, in just enriching students' minds. And yeah. that's like a very rewarding place to be. Yeah. But I do often feel like an alien. Like I've gone to a conference uh, recently and then I was like attending another one as a guest. Um, and I just felt like all the old unhealthy patterns kind of come surging back and conferences are just really tough for me. And suddenly this podcast episode became a therapy session. And I'm sorry about that, but I hope you, I don't know. I mean, we maybe wonder, there, I mean, this has all been connected to the thing. Cause I think we were just part of the reason I went with trust is that's, that was part of the article here is that they're talking about, no, this could be a great way to increase trust in science and what have you. And, you know, to, I, I'm going to be fair and say that I, partially agree at least that I do think that it could work um but in the same vein it's got to come with and maybe it'll come over time this is a because cultural things always are really slow to change usually mm-hmm. um although sometimes it doesn't feel like that with the way things go in the last couple of years in the U.S. Yeah. You know? um you, you have to get to the point where you're recognizing two things simultaneously can exist. And this is going to be on a philosophical tangent tote box, but this, that's, that's why this, that's why we chose this paper was to get into some of these philosophical tangents. This that's time. true. Um, you have to, two things can be true at the same time. You can recognize that you as an academic have a lot more expertise, knowledge, skills, unique skill set. And at the same time, acknowledge that so does this other person over here who's not in academia, who might very well benefit from something that you're doing in academia. And they have a skill set that you probably don't have because it may be the plumber down the street that comes to fix the academic sink or what have you when it breaks. There has to be a recognition of, yeah, you've got your differences in skill set, but none of that makes anyone a better person than anyone else. And there has to be with that, the recognition of humanity and the different worldviews. I feel like that's probably the thing that's nagging at me the most about the culture lately is that there seems to be such a dehumanization of people. You're in this group over here. You're in this group. Yeah. You're part of this group. You're part of that group. And I'm just like, I'm looking around like, why the hell let me stop being people? I mean, that's, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I literally, literally had an interaction with a student where I was just like laughing and jawing with the student and, said, and the van driver came in and it's just like, Oh, 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 because this was for an event a while ago. And it's just like, basically told her, oh, go, go on, get lost. <laughs> Said to the student, go on, get lost in a laughing, joking manner. Because it's just like, I just gotten to know the student a little bit. We both okay. had a sense of humor. It wasn't in a bad way. It wasn't meant in a bad way. Yeah. She knew that. You could tell from the look on her face that she was laughing as she oh. walked out. So that wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Um, and so she went out to the band to go back to the hotel. You know, we were just talking, talking on things. Um, but there has to be that really human connection and that's why i come back to the thing that the only way i can describe it is this tokenism where you get to you know you want these knowledges just to do this research and what have you and it's done all this kind of stuff and yeah you're supposed to do relationship building as part of that part of actionable science but are you really 
Yeah. Are you really getting to know somebody as the human that they are? Or is this the group of people over here that I'm working with? How do you break that really deep-seated cultural barrier difference between the two, you know? Yeah. Does, that, does that make any sense? <laughs> I No, I think it does. I think I uh, with with the groups that the, that the my, left- my, Yeah, but my point with that is that that's really what it's going to take yeah. to need to get to serious trust between people again and between institutions again. Um, not to say that there isn't, because I mean, some of the like, mm-hmm. research polls and things like that do show that there's still a decently high level of trust in scientists and yeah. confidence in universities has fallen off in the last few years, but yeah, you know, um, sometimes good reasons for that. Um. <laughs> yeah, you know, actually I will say some good news there. While, while the undergraduate population has its usual frustrating quirks, uh, this summer's crop of students that we've been working with at our organization do actually seem uh, in large part open to and think it's important to listen to the viewpoints of those who disagree with you. I, so, I'm glad to hear that. That, that gives yeah, some- there was a like a, a, sci- a science communication like discussion that was part of the program that I was eavesdropping on and kind of participating in as like a helper. But the other person who runs a program had like put this out there. And I was really like encouraged to see how many people were saying, like, uh, I think the prompt was like, how do you deal with science deniers or something like that? And almost all of them said, I think it's important to listen to where they're coming from. I think it's important to listen to the other side. I think it's important to talk to people and not try to debunk them. And I was like, oh, thank goodness, somebody's paying attention. So I I, I agree. And although I'm always, I'm always skeptical if you say it versus are you going to do it eventually? That's the other kind of thing, you know, when you're, oh yeah, it's, it's a lot harder to do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the, yeah, because I mean, the actionable science literature, and I think they make it even in, I think they even say it in here, I can't recall for sure, but, um, you know, that one of the things you have to do is you, you have to know your audience, right? And you have to know who you're working with and all that kind of stuff. And that just involves just sitting and listening and talking. And maybe it's over beer, maybe it's over dinner, maybe it's any number of different things. I actually very much agree with that sentiment from the actionable science kind of Mm -hmm. how you build trust. I mean, what is it? It was Texas Tech University pre-COVID. I don't know if they relaunched it after after the last couple of years of lockdowns or what have you, but they had a mm. thing called Science by the Glass where everybody would just gather around in a bar and talk science. Oh yeah, they have science on tap yeah. at a couple places. Yeah. Um, yeah, those things are fun. And like, well, okay, so from a SciComm perspective, the actionable science paper pointed out like that it can be hard for non-professional scientists to understand why scientists would study certain problems. Yeah. Um, I think some in-reach, as sometimes we say that, is like is necessary for scientists to more clearly understand where their research questions come from. And one thing that I am noticing, which is really frustrating because I don't know what to do about it, is so much science communication on the internet is done by students. And right. And they may have PhD candidate in their profile, but if you don't know what that means, it means they are a student. (laughs) It means means that they're an advanced graduate student and they've passed their first round of exams, but they are still a student. I wouldn't even necessarily say they are an expert 
because they're in training to be an expert at some point, which takes time, they may be more knowledgeable about a certain thing that they're studying than someone who's not studying that. So there is, of course, I'm not to downplay the, uh, the challenge of being a student, but like a lot of SciComm is done by students who I think don't necessarily understand even the broad scope of their own research questions either. And so they can give some really fumbly explanations that may not actually capture what that person really wants to know. Like, why would someone study something like that? Why do you care what turtles in the whatever do? Like, why do you care about how this weird obscure bug mates or whatever? Like for just, you know, things that seem kind of like, why do we put money towards that? If you're a scientist, you should know the answer to that question. And I think that a lot of them, like, it's just a matter of like understanding your own work. And, uh, you know, if you've been in the field for a while, you, you've been in your field for a while, you can probably answer that question better now than you did as a student. Oh yeah. So, well, so yeah, that's just, um, yeah. It's like my old mentor used to say, why, why does this matter? Tell me, please. Would, would yeah. be the question we'd be confronted with whenever we were talking our, about our research with him. And, and yeah, I, I kind of agree. That's the thing you need to be able to answer to somebody. And it, I mean, if you're just going to talk about it with general public, you got to do it in layman's terms too. You can't, you can't just do it in your own jargon or anything like that. Yeah. It's a mess, but it's, there's a lot of things and like ideas with actionable science that I do agree with. I, I just get really, really concerned about the whole idea of pushing your values into the scientific process such that you end up biasing things and then also the question you know the ethical question of what do you do when you're in that situation of of the research and maybe maybe and this is the other thing it's like there is an assumption about the purpose of scientists from some of the actionable science things like i've seen all the times like the purpose is to change the world just to put it in frank language or to make change even yes. as simple as that i'm just like i'm sorry but that's not my purpose as a scientist please don't put me under that whole label <laughs> yeah i there are obviously always things about the world that could use some improvement always yeah. forever that's always going to be true until the end of time and then there's a lot of things that I think we do really well that we should keep. I don't want to throw it all out. So yeah, there's, there's got to be a little bit of a happy balance here. Although I do think postmodernism has no place in science either way. <laughs> no, and actually that book, and I wish I had it here because it's hilarious, but Steven Pinker's book, uh, The Sense of Style, he makes the most amazing dig on postmodernism. That's like beautiful. I, I forget exactly how he said it, but it was something like, uh, postmodernism doesn't even believe that you can use words to refer to anything at all. And the onion made a great, uh, <laughs> made a, made a great dig at one of postmodernism's, um, most famous advocates, uh, Jacques Derrida, yeah. uh, when he, when he passed away, the onion wrote an article said, uh, Jacques Derrida dies in air quotes <laughs> because you can't use a word to refer anyway isn't that terrible it's like so tasteless but also like kind of hilarious I mean well not that I Jacques Derrida is a human I I don't mean yeah. to laugh at that but I, I the play on words is pretty awesome they talk so about that a lot in here with cynical uh yes yeah, cynical theories it's talked about a lot the the ideas of postmodernist believing in everything is created as a product of language 
you know, language is the creation of everything. And so that's, that's why you could just fungibly change words at will and change reality, essentially, is the kind of idea there. But that's why. Yeah. That's, that's another yeah. problem is because that doesn't work when you say, I mean, you, you, you can... <laughs> let's just let's just pause it for a moment like somebody goes out there and says the sky is green and then we get into an argument over the sky being blue or the sky being green it's like yeah this is blue unless it's a cloudy day this is called having uh too much time on your hands maybe i don't know this is like uh, anyway i don't know what it is it's it's cuckoo though and i think that it doesn't matter you can talk about that if you think that's cool you know if you want to do that for art or music or philosophy or something for your own intellectual engagement but if, uh if you use postmodernism to build a building it's not going to work so no actually i was um i, I noticed we're like at an hour and a half of recording time so it's just <laughs> Yeah, you might have to edit some stuff out, which is well, fine. We'll see. When I when I pull it together, we'll see what happens. But I was curious to get your thoughts on the ending. Um, let me ah. for the audience. It is not too late for the scientific community to pick up the gauntlet thrown down by Jane Lubchenco in 1997. In fact, there is probably no more timely moment for the research community to rise to the challenge. The truly wicked problems of the anthrop Anthropocene cannot be resolved in a post-truth environment. Doing science with communities can help move society at large away from alternative facts and back into an evidence-based existence. We look forward to the community science exchange being an important element in creating a new social contract for science and allows science to better contribute to help solving, to, to helping solve the wicked problems of the 21st century. We look forward to your help in generating content for our knowledge hub and journal, and more importantly, solutions to our wicked problems. So, with that in the, with that in mind, I'm going to say the authors are probably the editors of the journal, given given <laughs> given ah. you're calling it our journal. Um, yeah, that's a good call. I didn't even notice that. I'm I'm scratching my head at post truth environment. Like, what does that mean? And then alternative facts and back into an evidence-based existence makes me think, oh, so like we, we were, humans were totally like rational and fact-based until recently. Like, I don't understand what they mean. Like, when were we fact-based? I think we've been becoming gradually more fact-based as a culture, as a species, like gradually over thousands of years. So I'm not sure what they're referring to as the past of like when things were better, but like, I mean, yeah, I hope that we engage uh, the community, the communities that they're talking about in scientific development, as long as we don't like change si the science process yeah. to make their feelings protected. I don't know. I think that what we talked about with like not wanting to damage relationships built with communities that are like stakeholders and outcomes of science, like I think that's actually a really important question to talk about. And yeah. the ethics are messy and there's, I don't think that the, the left wing uh, social justice worldview is the only way to, to properly deal with those things. And I don't think the other alternative is necessarily racism. I think that there's definitely lots of different ways to talk about these problems and deal with them responsibly and respectfully. And, you know, so if that's all they're saying, then I'm on board with this community science exchange. Um, I don't want to see it become a vehicle for the leftification of, of uh, the academy. 
I, I think that what's funny about these, these papers is that they're either calling for something really radical and not okay, or they're pointing out something that's really obvious that scientists are already doing. Yeah. And I, I can never tell which it actually is because the language is so vague sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is vague and nebulous language that I'm just like, I'm not a hundred percent sure what you mean, but if we're going to be moving forward, you got to give me some specific definitions. You can't just leave it super. Yeah. And even so, like I've been talking about the problem of definitions in my course. So it's even not so much definitions as like, just be specific yeah. about like what you're going to do. Just yeah. use verbs, not meta concepts, but <laughs> say like, say some action words. Like, I want to know what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. So no. And then, and that really wasn't there. Although admittedly, mm -hmm. you know, that's the first article of a thing. So I guess maybe their thing, the thing they've done is made a journal that they're just going to publish these kinds of things mm -hmm. uh, or actionable science research or community science research or however the heck you want to call it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think on our scale uh, for this paper, I actually am right in the middle and here's why. I think that it could be a dumpster fire if it turns out that all that suspicious language that I was reading into turns out to be a dead ringer for the usual stuff that isn't healthy for science, like critical theory and postmodernism and far left politics and things like that. So it would be a dumpster fire if that's the direction they were going. It actually is not a terrible idea if it turns out they're going in the other direction where we want to involve stakeholders in these broader ethical discussions of which science is just one informant yeah that i'm cool with so we should keep an eye on this topic see where it goes yeah and if it turns out that it's going down the shithole then we can <laughs> give it the pro then we can give it the proper uh rating and if it turns out that this is a, a good idea and that we're trying to be responsible with our science communication and relationship building then we can give it an apple pie so yeah yeah that's no, my I, I'm, I'm in the same boat because i i mean admittedly i've been exposed to this stuff for a fair bit longer th than you have i don't know how much you've gotten into actionable science stuff before now but uh, no, this is my first foray so i appreciate <laughs> it i'm glad i know about it now <laughs> yeah but i think it it's one of those things like like i said i think the the exchange that you're talking about could be a really good idea but i i'm in the same boat it's like if your thing is about remaking the world in postmodern sense and what have you and you know using science as an agent of activism and training people to be activists no i'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not interested in that i don't think i think thing. <laughs> yeah if they if they do that then they're gonna lose a lot of people's trust and yeah. admittedly probably some of the the communities that the left tends to care a lot about because they may have belief systems that run counter to science. And if you're too pushy, then they're probably not going to trust science anymore anyway. So I don't yeah. know. It's, it's really, it's hard, but I think these are problems that are worth, worth tackling in a rational way, not in like an activist way. So, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's a basic premise that I start from. I think rationality is good. Not a lot of people think that. So no, not a lot of people think that anymore, which is sad. There's a whole bunch of papers that I know I've found recently that would be interesting too but yeah i think um i'm in the same boat it's like actionable science is certainly interesting and you know this, this is the kind of stuff that makes me feel torn in half sometimes as a scientist it's like yeah you know, good stuff same yeah i saw some music friends this weekend and i remember being like oh 
people who don't ask me what I do for a living. This is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heck, so. I, made a, I burned my fingers making a lamp this weekend. So, oh, that's cool. Creative weekend. Woohoo. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess this is a wrap then, unless there's any more thoughts we have. Nah, I don't think I do. Um, we'll get this up soon enough and uh, <laughs> ought to be fun for everybody. I think this is a cool episode, very different from our normal thing. Yeah. Ripping like apart one... an article left and right. <laughs> Philosophy, therapy, feelings, politics, me freaking out and ranting about stuff. I hope no one clips it. I'm like so oh, scared now, but fine. it's okay. Um, all right. You know, we'll take a look at it. We'll take a look at it before we put it up and just make sure we're comfortable with it. But Indeed. Um, yeah, all right. I think that's it. Cool. Stay curious, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rogue Journal Club. If you want to suggest articles for the show, please consider becoming a supporter of shiasophia.locals.com. The link for the Locals community is available in the show notes. The Rogue Journal Club is a Shia Sophia production. Copyright 2022. Thank you